Hello and welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. We appreciate you joining us through this podcast. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for joining us and enjoy the message. Tony has just transitioned out of the building (laughs) with his gloves. Those are his gloves. Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, One announcement from me. We have a workshop coming up. It is going to be on Wednesday, um, February 13th at 7 o'clock here at the church. It is called How to Pray for Others. So if you've ever had that situation where you're hearing about somebody's difficult uh, circumstances, they may be sick or they have a family member um, who's going through something or they need a job, any of those things, And if you're like me, you know, I know for many, many years, I would say, oh, man, I'll be praying for you. You know, you kind of do that. And then you, as you walk away, you might go a little, God be with them. And then you just keep going. Or maybe you add them to a prayer list or whatever. Um, But what's more effective is to say, hey, can I pray for you right now? And, And that may be scary for some of you to actually go, to stop and pray out loud for a person. Uh, But it it actually is not that difficult to do. It just takes a little bit of practice to go through it. And uh, at this workshop, we kind of walk through the Vineyard's five-step prayer model. So this this is how we teach our prayer team members how to pray for others. And so if prayer is kind of a scary thing for you, or you just want to want to sharpen that tool, I'd encourage you to come to that free workshop. And you can sign up online. Just go to our website, and you can register there. All right, so I did want to, in, to kind of talk about our message today, uh, give you a follow-up on something that my wife Rose said last week. She had mentioned that her father was in a car accident, and this is a picture of the, the van. So he was driving and had a passenger in there, and so the two of them ended up in the hospital. Um, my father-in-law had five broken ribs. He had uh, broken vertebrae. He had a punctured liver. He had a lacerated lip and a lot of, lot of bruising. And, um, but thank you guys for your prayers. He's um, had internal bleeding too. And so they've kept him in the hospital, but it looks like he'll be discharged to rehab tomorrow. So we're excited about that. He's doing, doing really, really well. Um, but I'll tell you, one of the things I noticed through the process was, and I love seeing, was Rose's family stepping up. Uh, so she has three brothers and a sister and uh, a lot of nieces and nephews, and they really took the time to step up and help out mom and dad and grandpa and grandma during that time. They actually started a group text for the family. Anybody ever been part of those group texts? Yeah. And sometimes it feels like you're being held hostage, you know, because they just keep coming, right, all day long. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it was really helpful because everybody knew what was happening with mom and dad. Um, The brothers would, at different times, take off of work and go and spend time with mom and spend time with dad at the hospital. Rose's sister lives in Florida, and uh, so she actually flew up today. She just arrived this morning and is planning on spending the rest of the week helping out anywhere that she can as well. You see, this is a really good family. You know, they've, they've done a lot to help out and to be there for mom and dad. And uh, the reality is that shouldn't be extraordinary, but it's becoming extraordinary to have families that 
interact like that, that step up and that, that help each other out. I talked to someone recently who had their mother um, died recently and they were talking to the funeral director. And the funeral director said, you know, it was really nice working with your family. And he's like, why? It didn't seem like anything different happened. He said, well, you guys didn't fight the whole time. And typically what we're seeing anymore is the families are just fighting and, and arguing the whole time. And I talked to someone else uh, that I, well, I talked to someone that I knew a while back and he was in his mid-30s, maybe early 40s and had a stroke. And he didn't have any family around. I mean, just doesn't have any family. There's so many disconnects that are happening anymore that he ended up in a nursing home and, and I know he'll be there for the rest of his life. And as far as I know, the only people that have visited him ever had been the people from the church that he was attending. The healthy families are becoming increasingly rare. Um, one of the reasons I believe is because of the decline of the nuclear family. The nuclear family is defined as a group consisting of two parents and their children. Just the concept that the parents are with their, or the children are with their parents. So in a recent Census Bureau report, in 1960, 1960, 12% of children lived with one parent or no parents. So think about that. About 10% of the, the population of children lived with only a single parent or no parents. But in 2016, that was up to 31%. So it went from 1 in 10 to right around you know, 1 in 3 and then uh, another research was the Pew Research Center. In 1960, 73% of children lived with both parents in their first marriage. About three out of four. But in 2015, that went down to 46%. So really, like, less than half of the children in the United States are living with both their parents in the first marriage. So the nuclear family, this concept of kids living with their parents and growing old together and all of that is becoming increasingly rare. I did do a, a little research. I looked around at grandparents because Rose and I are becoming, you know, empty nesters. That's coming. And so we're not grandparents yet. But one day, one day we'll be empty nesters. Right, guys? <laughs> Just making sure we're on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> but this was an interesting statistic. 43%, this was in 2011, 43% of grandparents lived over 200 miles away from their grandchildren. Just think about that. I mean, there's just this separation that's happening across the United States. And then another survey talked about, you know, asked questions about what would improve family relationships. And there were two responses. One is, I have one brother who lives far away. I wish he lived nearer so we could see him more often. And you kind of, you can feel that, can't you? And another one was, bring us all into the same city. We are scattered all over the country. So the reality is the definition of family has changed quite a bit. There's a lot more distance between family members, uh, a lot more separation that's happening. 
And I would say that this is tragic. I'd say that this is really sad. But at the same time, I would say that this is a wonderful opportunity for the church. A wonderful opportunity for the church. We as a church have the opportunity to bridge these gaps. We can become brothers and sisters to those who don't have siblings or their siblings live far away. We can become fathers and mothers to those that don't have parents around. And as we get older, we can even become grandparents to those who don't have grandparents anywhere near or they're not around anymore. See, guys, we as the church can become the family. It's a wonderful opportunity. Proverbs 27 says this, Do not forsake your friend or a friend of your, of your family, and do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. See, this proverb is speaking to the value of friendships, the value of neighbors. And most of us in this room today live either in the city of Elkhart or in Elkhart County or nearby. And so we get to be the friends and the neighbors nearby. We get to be the family for one another. Now there's a section of scripture where Jesus is responding to a situation, and I love it because it speaks to the importance of friendships. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, it says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. If you can imagine that, when Jesus spoke, there were crowds. I mean, just there were always people just surrounding inside the buildings, outside the buildings. And his mom and brothers come to, come, you know, come to talk to him, and they can't even reach him. So they send somebody inside that says, someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I mean, Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, they're they're actually closer to me than my family. Now, in this next section of scripture, young Timothy is being being instructed by Paul on how to treat people within the church body. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So this concept of family, of of us becoming each other's family. It's an area of growth for our church. It really is. If you were here last week, you heard it was one of my goals for this next year. Part of the vision for 2019 is that we here at Lighthouse would become more of a family. And what do I mean by that? Well, right now, as I look out, I recognize just about everyone. We have a few newcomers that I got to meet just briefly. But I recognize most everyone. I've had conversations with most everyone. I know a lot of your stories. But one thing I've realized 
is that many of you don't know everyone. You guys don't know each other. And honestly, guys, that's actually unusual for a church our size. We're around 100 people, and typically churches of around 100, everybody kind of knows everybody. And the reason for it is because they usually start as a church of like 10, you know, and so those 10 know each other really well, and then two more people come, and everybody knows those two, and then they have three more, and you got 15, and over time, you have this slow growth that takes place, and everybody knows everyone, and it's, it's good and bad, right? You guys have been <laughs> part of some of those, too, uh, but the concept is that, you know, it's because they grow slow. Unfortunately, and fortunately for us, we grew fast, right? I mean, we had like this real quick, uh, we've only been in church since May, and we came in, like 70 people came in 80 and 90, and now a few weeks ago, we had over 140 people. And so we have that, we've had this fast growth curve that's happened. That's one of the reasons. The second reason I think this is the case is because many of us came from larger churches, where when you have a large church, you just can't know everybody, right? And so you get used to not knowing everyone, not knowing the people beside you because it's a large church and you just can't possibly know everyone. But we're not a large church yet, you know? And we may never be a large church, but right now is a great opportunity to get to know each other, to really get to know each other, to become brothers and sisters and moms and dads and grandparents. You know, I think that's a wonderful opportunity for us now. So we're going to be starting a series today, a new message series called Family Ties, Characteristics That Connect Us. And the purpose of this message series is to give us some ideas on what we can do as a church body to grow as a church family. Because it will be healthy for us to be a more tightly connected church family. And we'll be looking in the, the book of Acts um, in fact, you can turn there if you would like. We'll be in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 today. A little bit of background of the book of Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are written, the four Gospels of Jesus' life. It's the beginning of the New Testament. And during that time, Jesus lives, he dies, he comes back to life. And uh, what follows in Acts is the Acts of the Disciples. So in Acts, it's really what happens to those disciples after Jesus goes back to heaven. And what happens is they start a church. And so we get to hear a little bit about how that church functioned at the very beginning. Okay, so we'll be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41 through 47. Let me read this. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So every week during this message series, we're going to be looking at a different characteristic of what makes a family a family. 
That's the intent. And we're going to try to see how to apply that to our church body today. So today we're going to be looking at one of those characteristics. Have you guys ever heard of the saying, a family that prays together stays together? It'll be something like that. So today's message title is, A Family That Meets Together Grows Together. A Family That Meets Together Grows Together. And it's a message about how important it is as a church family to get together, to meet together. So I'm going to give you a couple of points on uh, what happens when we consistently get together. But first, let me pray for the message. So God, we come to you and we thank you for this message. We thank you for your scripture. God, we thank you for the examples of how a church can actually become a family to an individual. So Lord, I pray that you would help me to communicate your vision, Father, and that your words would speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so on your handout, you can fill this in if you would like. When we consistently get together, God's power is displayed. That's your first point. God's power is displayed. In verse 46, it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So the early church, man, they started meeting together constantly. Every day they started meeting together and I love that. And then in verse 43, it says that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And I believe those two are related to each other. The fact that they were getting together consistently was a reason why they started to see God's power demonstrated. God likes to show up when we get together. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, it says, for where two or three gather together in my name, there am I with them. You see, when we get together, like here at church or when you get together in small groups, God shows up. Anyone hear of the Greenville Awakening last year in Tennessee? Greenville, Tennessee, anyone? So let me tell you about it. It was in Greenville, Tennessee. They started with a small revival meeting, ended up going on for seven months. They started meeting Monday through Friday for seven months. Almost a thousand people found Jesus. There were physical healings. People were called into ministry. And I would submit that one of the reasons they saw the power of God in those meetings was because they showed up. People showed up. They came expecting to see God. And God said, well, there's two or three gathered in my name. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there too. And God showed up there. Anyone remember Revive Indiana? It was kind of a similar thing. Anyone like participate in one of those meetings? Yeah, we went to a few of those. Super exciting. But anyway, this was back in January of 2015. It's already been, it's that four years? Four years. Wow, it's crazy. As a one-week prayer event in Elkhart and LaGrange County, and it extended another week and another, it ended up going for 52 days. And since then, it's spread throughout the state of Indiana. And I would say that it's spread throughout the country. Some pretty exciting things have happened throughout the country. So I, uh, I went to one of those meetings, or a couple of those meetings, and there were thousands of people packed into that auditorium, um, way beyond what the fire code said could actually fit in there. But they would come because they could see God's presence, and they, could, they wanted to hear about what God was doing. I checked with some of the leaders 
of Revive Indiana, and they said that over 1,200 people accepted Christ during that time. When people get together for God's purposes, God shows up. And I believe that's true here as well. I don't know about you, maybe it's just because I'm in the front row, but during worship every week, I can just feel God's presence. You know, I can just feel God's presence, whether I want to or not. <laughs> God is showing up and he's excited about what's happening here at the church. And it's not just at our church or at the church, um, not last Friday, but two Fridays ago, we were asked to send a small team um, to a leadership retreat for the Vine Church, the Vine Vineyard Church out of Goshen. I know the pastor there, and they had 14 of their leaders up at a, a conference center in Michigan. And they said, hey, would you be willing to come up and uh, do some ministry with our team? Kind of as a surprise to them. They didn't know that we were coming. I said, sure. So there were six of us. We, we got into our van, and we were driving up. And as we're driving up there, I started thinking, well, what if God doesn't show up? <laughs> this, this could be pretty meaningless for us to drive, you know, an hour and a half, for them to be all expecting and, and uh, for God, nothing to happen. And so I asked our team as we we're driving, I said, can you guys just pray? Let's just pray. And as we were praying, our team was praying some powerful prayers in the van, and you could just feel the presence of God. He was showing up in our van. And, and it was just assuring to me because, you know, sometimes faith is contagious, right? So as they're having faith, you know, I'm like, all right, well, I'm having faith. And as I'm having faith, they're having faith. And, and we got into the house there where they were meeting and we began to start praying over them. And over the next two and a half hours, the presence of God showed up. It was amazing. God gave our team some prophetic words to speak into their lives. These were some things that nobody knew but them. They didn't, hadn't told anyone. And God was confirming some callings in their lives. And there was some uh, healing that took place, some emotional healing that was amazing. But it was because God, we were together in God's name and God showed up. There's power in numbers. And when we come together as a church expecting God to move, he does. And when we share our faith with others, when we share our excitement with others, it's contagious, it grows. You can write this down on your handout. When we meet together, our faith is multiplied. And God rewards us with his power and presence. When we meet together, our faith is multiplied and God rewards us with his power and presence. I spend some great time with God by myself. I'll, I try to, to connect with God and every day and spend time with him. But I'll tell you, it's when we all get together that I feel God's presence the most. You know, your faith helps me as well. Now, by the way, as I was putting this message together, I felt that God wanted me to, to kind of go on the side here for a second because I believe that there are some people here today who have believed a lie that your presence isn't important. All right? And if that's you, you know who you are. But let me just say to you, 
That's a lie. That's a lie. Your presence is important. If for no other reason, just for me, okay? When you come on a Sunday morning and I see you, I get excited. And my faith grows. And as my faith grows, you know, hopefully that's contagious with everybody else. But it's important for you to be here. It's incredibly important. And Satan is a liar. And he's going to whisper in your ears on a Sunday morning as you're getting up thinking, well, should I go to church or not? Nobody's going to miss me. You know, that's just a lie. We miss you. Just so you know that on Saturday night, um, no, Friday night, we had some of our family over, Michael and Anna, and uh, Ben was there, and um, Michael was there. But John, Michael, and Becca weren't there for dinner. You know, and we had a good time. I don't know what you guys were doing, but they weren't there. And, you know, we had a good time, but it didn't feel the same. Do you know that? I mean, if you're, if you're a parent and you have kind of multiple kids, there's a difference when like the whole family is there. I see some parents back there. Oh, yeah, I understand that. You know, I think God feels the same way too. He loves it when the whole family gets together. And so it is. It is sad for me when the whole family's not here, but it's also sad for God, I believe. You know, so your presence is important. I just needed to emphasize that. So that's point number one. We can, we consistently get, when we get, consistently get together, God's power is displayed. Number two, when we consistently get together, our love for each other grows. Our love for each other grows. And again, if you look at that, that first church, uh, in verse 44, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Well, I don't know about you, but... I don't just go out and sell property and possessions and give it to anyone, right? But my family, yeah. I mean, I will, I, will, I will sacrifice for my family. And that's what was happening in the first church. They understood each other's needs, and they were willing to sacrifice. And I believe the reason for that is because their love grew. And I believe the reason their love grew was because they were meeting together. They got to know each other's stories. And I, this has happened for me as well. You know, a couple of the guys here at the church, we got Alan Rashka, Tony Nanga, Joe Tran. I mean, these are guys that I knew kind of when I was at another church, but I didn't really know them. And since we started, I think all three of those guys started at the church when we first started on May 20th. They started coming. And so I started hanging out with these guys. You know, they would come to church and they were... Not very many people there at the beginning, and so I get to know them, and uh, they'd hang out afterwards, and I've had some one-on-one meetings with each of them as well, and I will tell you, over time, I've grown to love those guys, and I'm not just saying that. I might sell some possessions again. I'm not sure. I'd have to think about that. (laughs) Maybe. But no, I would, and it's because of the time that we spent together over these last several months, and it's not just... The old timers, Tim and Chris Cole, you're sitting over here. They're new. They started coming right around Christmas, right? Somewhere around there. And I've got to hang out with them a little bit. And and I'll tell you, my heart is moved. And I love these guys. They're actually going to be in our home group. We start on Monday. Don't forget that, Monday, 630. All right. Anyway, but I'm looking forward to spending time with them over the next several months just to get to know them. Because when you spend time together... Your heart just is moved. 
You learn to love each other. Now, there was a biblical example as well. I mentioned Paul and Timothy a little bit earlier, but Paul um, was a mentor to Timothy, but in the book of Acts chapter 16, that's where he first met him. So he didn't even know Timothy at that time. So here we're reading when they first meet. It's in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. It says, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, so Paul decided to take him along on his journey. So Paul wanted to take him along. And jumping down to verse 4, he says, As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So before Paul went to Derby and then to Lystra, he didn't even know this guy, all right? Didn't even know Timothy. But then they traveled together. They spent time together. They did ministry together. And Paul grew to love Timothy and became his spiritual father. So much so that while he was in prison, he wrote, Paul wrote some of the New Testament. He wrote letters to people that he cared about. Well, he wrote two letters to Timothy. And in the first letter, in verse 2 of chapter 1, he says, To Timothy, my true son in the faith. See, Paul's love for Timothy grew tremendously. And I believe it's because they spent time together. A lot of time together. So I want our love for one another to grow over this next year. That's what I want. I want to see that. I want to experience it myself as well. So here at Lighthouse, here's, here's a few ways that we can do it. Okay, we've kind of talked about today. Again, during the series, we're going to talk more and more about things that we can do. But just this concept of spending time together. So one way is you can come early to church. Well, why would you come early? Church starts at 10, right? And it's not just to get a, a good seat, right, in the back. You know, those are the best seats. You come early just to be present and to spend time. Hang out with a few people. And come every week, you know? Be an every weeker. That's not even a word, but be one. You know, just come every week. Be committed to it. Also, join a home group. If you're not in a home group, that's the way you really get to, to know one another. In fact, uh, Matt Poorman's going to talk about the importance of that in a few weeks as part of our message series. But if you want to be part of a home group, just fill out the card on the seat in front of you and turn that in, um, and we'll get you into a home group. Come to our workshops. We have a lot of workshops. On Wednesdays, we'll probably have one about every month. Just sign up for it, whether you want to learn how to pray or not. You just come because you want to spend some time with people. We're going to be doing some service projects this next year. I'm super excited about that. You know, finally, we're going to be able to get out in the community and do some, do some work. Come to those. Serve with us. We'll be doing some worship nights, you know, on Friday nights. Say, oh, there's a Friday night worship night. Do I stay home and watch the Friends episodes, or do I go to the... My guess, I think you should go to the worship, worship night. Um, some more things that I would like to see. I've seen a little bit of this. This is, this is nothing to do with me or the church, but it's just all of you, is to invite people to go to lunch after church. You know? Uh, how cool is that? I've seen some of that, and that, 
as a spiritual parent, that just really makes me excited to see my kids like taking care of one another. And so I just encourage you guys, if you're going out to eat, invite someone. Hey, what are you doing? And by the way, if you're invited, say yes, okay? It's really hard to invite someone. So if they ever actually stretch, change your plans and go with them, you know? Just go hang out, spend some face-to-face time. And if you get really brave, invite them to your house for dinner. I mean, I know that's a lot to ask, you know, because that's like... It's the house, you know, but, but families meet in houses and they just do. So invite people over for, for lunch, for dinner. We, we, we live in a society that is so used to being alone. Man, you guys see it every day. I mean, we experience it. I mean, there are times when Rose and I will come home, we'll sit down on, on the couch and we'll both just get on our phones and go through social media as we, I'm not sure what we're doing, you know? But we're not, we're not interacting. And that's just, you know, you guys see it in a restaurant. I love, <laughs> I love sitting in a restaurant, and you know that this is like a blind date or their first date, you know? And they're just both on their phones, you know, sitting there. It's like, that's not going to work out, you know? It's just <laughs> not going to work out. not going to work. But we need, we, need, we need this face-to-face time. All of Jesus' ministry was done face-to-face. It was. And, and you could go, well, he didn't have technology. He didn't have social media and Facebook. And true, and I think Jesus would utilize that. But I would say if Jesus was here today, his ministry would still be face-to-face. It would. You know, it would be physically touching people, giving them hugs. I mean, that's what Jesus would do. And, and we're called to live like Jesus. And so that's my encouragement to each one of us is this next year is let's be present because your presence is super, super important. This is your last fill-in. If you want the church to become like family, we will have to prioritize the church like a family. If we want the church to become like family, we will have to prioritize the church like a family. Invite the worship team to come on up here. You guys would all stand. Thank you for enjoying the message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for being part of our family, and we'll see you next time.